Hello and welcome fellow creatives. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging and inspiring you to keep creating. Thanks for joining us on this journey to explore all things creative. I'm Derek Wagner. And I'm Riley Peterson. And this is the Living Creativity Podcast. Hey there, everybody. Thanks for joining for yet another episode. We are so excited this week to bring you an interview with the one, the only, Elise Holm. You might not know her name yet, but Elise is a super fun, creative individual. She is a special ed teacher, a local to where we're at, and we're just really excited to get her perspective in a field that neither of us have a ton of familiarity in. So hopefully there's some fun stuff in here for you. I hope you enjoy. Now let's get to the show. Today, we have Elise. Uh, an amazing friend of ours, and she is a special ed teacher, and she uses a lot of creativity in her walk and in her career, and we have the pleasure of having her on today. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> welcome. So welcome. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, do you, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey of maybe like as a child? Or, you know, your younger years and learning like, man, maybe I am kind of creative. And then how it's led to today. A little history or backstory of yourself. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I feel like when I was a kid, I was really into art. Like anything art I could get my hands on. Um, painting, coloring, markers. I went through so many notebooks just doodling. Um, <laughs> I liked to write a lot as a kid. I used to love writing short stories and um, all of that. And I also was into helping people like that's always kind of been my thing mm. um i struggled in school and i learned differently and so i feel like a lot of times i was able to explain things to like my peers in a way that they could understand them as well and so um i was always into that like just being able to help and react like learn something if i understood it i wanted to understand it in a different way or figure out like how i understood it aside from just like carbon copy of what the teacher instructs if that makes sense it does and so and so you had a passion for teaching even at a very young age yeah before i even realized i had it like looking back i can see that now that's awesome and so yeah i've always liked doing that kind of a thing and i my path to becoming a teacher is really like windy and weird and involves a lot of different jobs <laughs> um <laughs> before i got to that but um i don't know do you guys want to hear like the whole yeah, windy road let's hear it Let's hear it. Okay. Um, so I got my bachelor's degree in criminology. I wanted to be a forensic scientist, super into that. Um, I love that kind of research. I think it's really interesting. And then um, I was planning on doing that. And then my grandma, who had lung cancer at the time, fell and broke her hips. And so instead of moving to New York, I moved home to help take care of her. And wow. in that, I it was, it was a really special time with my grandma. Um, but it also made me think like, it reiterated that I like to care for others. And so I started mm -hmm. thinking about nursing because at that point I started thinking about, you know, sociology isn't, it, it doesn't bring in the most money. <laughs> and um, it's, there's not a lot of jobs in sociology, especially with a bachelor's yeah. degree. And so I was kind of like, okay, yeah. And so I was kind of, and there's nothing in for that kind of a field with a bachelor's degree. 
at the time there was not. Now there's all kinds of stuff you can do online. There probably is something I could do from on my computer, but yeah, at the time there there just wasn't. And so I started thinking about the medical field and and that. And so I became a CNA, started working in an assisted living facility, um, went back to school for pre nursing. Really enjoyed the science behind it, but did not enjoy it mm. like the rest. I didn't, I didn't, I knew I wouldn't want to do that forever. I knew that wasn't my passion. I loved caring for geriatric people, but um, like the whole, the schooling behind it, I just was not there for it. And so um, that did not work. And then I started working as part time CNA, part time bartending. Um, loved cool. that. I always wanted to be a bartender. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so that was super fun. Um, and, and I was at a golf course, so I got to golf, which was a lot of fun too. Um, oh, yeah. and then after and then you, that, you have, and then you golfed in high school, correct? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I did. I golfed all four years of high school. I was not good, but it was fun and it was a good way to get out some aggression. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and so after that I was working, so I was working and I was bartending and then I had quit. I was bartending full time. And then my, my niece's teacher um, was needing a para in her classroom and she's life skills. My niece is in, it was a life skills student and um, they needed a para. They were down. Somebody was quitting and said I needed someone. And um, I had volunteered at schools before and I always really enjoyed it. But it was something that like, not my immediate family, not my parents, but like my grandpa really discouraged when I was younger. He was in the education wow. field and he just, he didn't like the direction it was going. and so. He didn't think it was something I would enjoy. So I never went for that. And then um, I just kept finding my way into the classroom in college. It was a couple of different um, like credits. Like I had gotten, um, what is it called? Where you could, don't get an internship. I was, it was an yeah, internship yeah. where I was working on a reservation and I was in a behavior class and that was really interesting. I, I loved it. And those are like, the naughties, like the ones that the teachers or adults don't want to deal with, but it was, it was a really good experience. So the class then, was literally for people who have behavioral they, issues. Yeah. Wow. And like they couldn't, they couldn't stay in a classroom without getting kicked out. And so like in a typical classroom without getting kicked out. So, so what about that was, so you found it intriguing or interesting or you're like, wow, I want to be able to like really help people like that. Was that the motivation? I didn't. I didn't know, like, I didn't know that that's the class I was being candid. Um, I applied for this internship where I knew I was going to be working on a reservation, but mm -hmm. that's the extent of it. And so there was eight of us that got to get, go to different classes and stuff. And they, they told me, Hey, we want to put you in this class, but it's a class of behavior kids. They have, you know, they say bad words, they, they kick, they scream, like, you know, are you okay with that? And, and so I was like, yeah, like I want to, you know, that those are my friends growing up. So sure. Um, <laughs> those were my friends in elementary school. And so, um, yeah, I was, I went in and I was expecting like, I was expecting like Sid from Toy Story. You know what I mean? Like just like, yeah. like mean. And these kids were not it at all. Um, I mean, they were rambunctious and some of them were wild, but um, they had so much like love. And you could, there was, I mean, a lot of them had struggles. And so it's kind of like, I think because I wasn't the, like, I wasn't the person who was controlling everything. I could just like hone in on a student and being like, mm. let me just listen to you and let me see what your, where your struggles are. Let me hear your heart and get to know them on like 
a deeper level. And so I was able to like build those connections with students that unfortunately teachers don't always have time for right away. And so it was, that was really eye opening to me. Um, yeah, that was really eye opening to me. I know one of the questions that you guys asked is like, what's a pivotal point for you? And like on that reservation, that was a pivotal point for me. Um, working with a student she couldn't, she struggled with, I don't know if she had dysgraphia, um, or what it was, but she really struggled putting pencil to paper. And, um, mm. and so she was seen as really defiant and, um, and her teacher would get very frustrated. And, and I mean, I understood where the teacher was coming from because it looked like she was being defiant when in reality it was physically, it physically hurt her to write. She struggled getting pencil to paper and she couldn't think slow enough to get her thoughts on paper in writing. And so it was, it was really a hard thing for her. And, and we worked together and talked about things. And I had found out she never, she had never typed before. She was a second grader and we worked on home row and we worked on typing and she ended up like loving to write and loved to do her work and became really excited to do her work. And it was just, it was amazing to see in like such a short time, like the 180 she did because she found something that made her feel successful. Did the teacher notice too? That was hitting the class? Yeah. She noticed that and she was really excited about it. And she and I had kind of talked and she talked about like feeling bad or feeling guilty that like she didn't think to do that right away. And like, that's such an obvious thing. Why didn't I think of that? Well, but it's not an obvious thing because most second graders don't type to communicate Mm -hmm. their thoughts. No. You know, and, and you think that she's being defiant. She can't even write a simple, she cannot even write a simple five word sentence. What makes you think, oh, let's put a computer in front of her and let her type. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So it it really, in that moment, it took someone with maybe the ability to see from a different perspective to say like, you know, Hey, let's give this a shot and just see what happens. Yeah. And like, I had nothing to lose. Like this teacher has her job that she's trying to make sure she's doing a good job for all these kids. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had nothing to lose. Like, like it was just trial and error for me. I had no rhyme or reason it's not like i had done research and like here's the research behind using a computer or anything like that i was just like let's just try this maybe it'll work but that's that's cool uh i i don't know if i've mentioned this or not but uh, my wife melinda she works in special education as well she's in the resource classroom and uh that's like one of the main things right is like just keeping your eye on these kids and figuring out okay they're struggling in this particular area let's see if we can figure out why, or at the very least figure out like, how can we adapt to them, you know, like offer something that's going to enable them to succeed rather than just forcing them on onto the same methods and the same, uh, you know, the same tools that everyone else is using that everyone else is successful using them. It's no big deal, but for some reason, some of us have a difficult time with some of those things and you don't, I think that's, not I'm I'm like hearing this story about this student of yours and thinking back to some of the stuff that, you know, my wife's told me the stories in her classroom and stuff. And I think that being a teacher, but particularly a special ed teacher requires a lot of creativity, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And we have the we have the freedom to do it. Like the gen mm-hmm. ed teachers do not have the same freedom that special ed teachers have. Wow. They have a very strict curriculum, very strict um universal goals that these kids need to make every single year milestones these kids need to face every single year and special ed 
they have individualized education plans. Each student has an individual plan that can look completely different one from the other. Do, and so, yeah, it's, it's creative. Do you think that a lot of other kids would greatly benefit by having, a, by having an individualized plan for them? Um, I don't, I don't know. I think that, I think kids would benefit from accommodations and I don't think accommodations should have to be put on a written plan. I, I yeah. don't believe that we should have to have legal documentation to give students the services or the accommodations that they need to succeed. And that's the, un- like, that's the unfortunate thing to me is like our kiddos with IEPs, they're guaranteed that protection because yeah. it's a written legal document. And so when you ask that question, it makes me think, yeah, and an IEP would be good because it would guarantee that. But I would love for education to get to the place where we could provide those services for kids and accommodations for kids, regardless of the legal documentation, just because they need it. You know what I mean? Even if they yeah. don't have a disability, maybe they don't have a disability, but they have some social emotional stuff going on and they need extra time going from point A to point B or extra time reading an assignment or something. I mean, accommodations can be very small or very easy. They don't have to be these complete reinventing of a wheel. Wow. I know that like, I think back to, to my own high school career and just, you know, you have days in high school where as a teenager, you're going through all kinds of teenage stuff and, you know, difficulties with friendships or relationships or whatever else it is. And I, I remember going to school one day and I was in like a, I think it was like chef school or something like that. It was a cooking class. And I was just like sitting there just moping, having a heck of a time. And this teacher came up to me and was basically like, Hey Derek, like you seem like you're sad or something like what's going on. Are you okay? And do you want to talk about it? I was like, I don't want to talk about it. You know, I don't, I'm not (laughs) trying to spill my guts to you or anything, but then she's like, you know, Hey, like if you need to like take 10, 15 minutes or something and like, you know, take a break, like I get it. That's fine. And like I always remember that because, you know, I feel like, no, it's not reflective of necessarily what could happen in real life, right? Like you get to a job. It's not like your boss is going to come and pat, you know, put his hand on your back and be like, you know, Hey buddy, <laughs> you, you, need, you need to go, you know, go out back and take a break real quick. You know, you seem sad. Like that's not going to happen. That's not realistic, but high school's not real life. And these kids, I think. Like, wouldn't it be wonderful if, if more things like that could happen where we can offer students opportunities to work through some of their stuff and find like healthy ways to manage things, uh, without just having that, you know, like gotta, gotta figure it out because this is real life coming soon, you know, like, cause it was just meaningful to me. I, I always remember that because yeah. it was like, that was cool. You know, like I was having a really crappy day and I, you know, sometimes I had a hard enough time focusing in class as it was. And then now I've got all this other junk in my head and this teacher's just like, you know, Hey, like go take 10 minutes. It's fine. Like, yeah. Class will still be yeah. going on. It's okay. And that's the thing. Like our kids, especially these days are dealing with adult problems in little human bodies mm. and then being told to and, handle it. And, and not and only like little you, human bodies, right. But little human minds. Yeah. That's yeah. And so, yeah, like the, the prefrontal cortex, I think is what it is, is like your emotions and like your ability to like, to like process your emotions. And that's not fully developed till you're like in your mid twenties, like 25 or something like that. Right. And so like, we see these kids reacting in such big ways and we wonder like, what's wrong with them? Well, it's, I mean, they're dealing with these big things and we need to remember that they're not, 
equipped to handle it. And so we as adults need to show them how to handle it in a loving way that really teaches them and not just telling them this is what you do because that doesn't teach anyone anything. Yeah. Yeah. I I like a couple of those points. The one I wanted to acknowledge first was, you know, I like how you put adult problems and, you know, childhood bodies and minds. And the thing that pops into my head is, you know, this may be the first time they're dealing with something like this too. Like I know that Mm -hmm. with, I'm going to watch my kids and they're growing up and they scrape their knee. It's like the worst scrape they've ever had. And so the reaction is the worst. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. And it's like, oh yeah, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. Which it's, and you want to, you want to tell them to suck it up or whatever. Cause anyway, but, but at the same point, you're like, oh no, that being able to have empathy and understand like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And to, yeah. and to work, help them through that. Or I mean, it reminds you of the whole, the, 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 every teenager that's ever had their heart broken, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm right. Gonna and die. and yeah. as, as an adult, like we think back, you know, to our own stories of that happening and we're like, oh, well I made it through and I can confidently tell this other, this kid, you're going to make it through. Okay. But yeah. you forget that as when you were a teenager and you had your heart broken that badly, it was like my heart just got ripped out of my chest and someone stomped on it and there's blood everywhere and I'm going to (laughs) die. You know, like you, it feels that horrible. And to the point that you just made, rightly, it's like, yeah, that probably is the worst day of that person's life. And to, to, you know, the, the, the idea that's like, well, that's not real love. And it's like, well, it's probably the realest love that that kid has ever felt so far. You know, even if it's like, let's, let's be like, make the case that sure, maybe it's not real love, whatever that means. Well, it probably felt real to them, you know, (laughs) like it's it's interesting to just, it's hard sometimes for, as an adult to remember what it was like to be, you know, 12, 13, 15, sometimes even 18 years old, I guess, you know, it's like, yeah, you just forget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really true. So, yeah. And I think uh, on the other side of that, sorry, um, on the other side of that, I also think it's important to teach them resilience and teach them to stand strong and stand tall in their failures and in their mistakes and in their struggles. And it's okay to feel sad, but do not wallow in it. Yeah. And there's, it's like a fine line, you know, it is, it is, you know, it's one of the things that I hear tossed around all the time and about our modern culture is, you know, like everyone's a, likes to be a victim, you know, and people need to get tougher and stuff like that. And, but on the other side, you know, people are like, you know, crying out for like, we need to have empathy for, for the victims. We need to have empathy for people who are hurting and suffering. And it's like, we're stuck in this weird cultural debate between those two things. But really I feel like it's two sides of the very same coin, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, we can have empathy, but you can also say, you know, Hey, we do have to stand back up and we do have to keep going. You know, like Mm -hmm. I think that's, one of the most important lessons I think that you can teach children, right. Is that it's like, Hey, you're sad. Totally. Okay. To be sad. Yeah. Like I tell my kids all the time when they're sad, like I'm not, I don't, it's okay that you're sad. Like you can cry oh, yeah. if you need to cry. Like that's okay. But it's what you do with your feelings, you know, like, are you going to let them control you? Are you going to, you know, just sit in it? Are you just going to have a temper tantrum or are you going to say, you know, Hey, this is how I feel. And that's okay. And now I'm going to get up and I'm going to go solve my problem. Yeah. 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 And I feel like the most beautiful things have come from 
creating or like the most beautiful creations have come from pain. Yeah. And so that's, yeah. It's like, you can make something really great from it. You can. can. (laughs) Well, and I think ultimately my opinion here, obviously, but it's like, okay, a feeling happens or event happens. You have strong feelings about it. Okay. Acknowledge them. First step, acknowledge that they're there. Acknowledge that what happened was wrong or what, what you did was wrong or whatever the situation may be. Acknowledge it. Okay. That's good. Like that's a good place to start. And then from there, it's what am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people acknowledge their feelings and they just, like you said, wallow and stay stuck in that place. And I had another thought, which of course I forgot, but <laughs> it'll come back. Going, come back. Going, going from there to what am I going to do about it? How am I going to put this into action? Uh, that's, the, that's the phase that that's where we need accountability. That's where we need um, people to be able to pour into us or you need that per- that friends is going to be like, no, I'm going to come get you even though you don't want me to, or I'm going to help you even though yeah. you don't want me to necessarily. Um, yeah. Those, those are a couple of thoughts I had. Mm-hmm. Well, that's re- I, I, I think this is just a important topic because you know, it, it's pretty, it's just seen as too extreme. You know, it's like nothing except unbridled empathy and, acceptance of you know someone's pain and just like oh they're a victim so we have to treat them as such which you know i'm sure that there's people have different takes on it but like i would i would i would hate the idea of looking at another person and seeing just a victim you know i would want to see that person as just as they're meant to be or as all that they could become right and it's like if you just remain a victim you can't be that you can never them short. get past that. Yeah, you are. You are. And so I really, I find that impactful, but at, you know, like we're, I guess, harping on it a little bit now, beating a dead horse here, but yeah, the other, the other side is, is you're, you know, just completely lacking any empathy for that. And, you know, that's where you get the whole pick yourself up by the bootstraps thing. And it's like, it, it, it's so we, we sit here and we, we latch onto these extremes because there's a nugget of truth in each of them. Right. Yes. And it's like, right. we, we have to, figure out somehow how to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We have to yes. like, mm-hmm. let's, let's acknowledge, let's persevere, you know, let's move on and, yeah. and mm-hmm. integrate those two things into one, which for some reason is just an incredibly difficult thing for us to do right now. I don't know if that's like some sort of emotional intelligence skill that was lost or never really fully fleshed out or something. I don't know. I'm not sure. I absolutely think so. Yeah, wow. I do. And I think that, you know, society has only gotten like more busy. Like we were, we're yeah. starting to pile things on more and more and at younger and younger mm-hmm. ages. And so yeah. we're not able to like refine or perfect any one thing because we're going too fast. Like we don't have enough time to go through that process. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? We're getting yeah. too distracted. Yeah. Melinda was sharing a podcast with me that she listened to. It's this woman who, uh, basically tries to like, she's a therapist and she gets people like who are basically addicted to their phones, like off their phones or off of like social media and stuff. And it was an interesting podcast to listen to, but I, I wish I could remember the name of it. Um, maybe I'll think of it, but at any rate, she basically talks about, uh, you know, from like a psychological perspective, not only the, just the pure amount of information that people are 
uh, exposed to, but also, you know, it's never just, you know, neutral information, right? It's also, mm-hmm. um, like always bad news. It's always like this horrible <laughs> things happen to someone, you know, or someone that you don't know. Usually it's someone that you don't know. Right. But somehow you get sucked into the story anyway. And, uh, it's you're just bombarded with that stuff. And basically the point that she made was like, all of that is to some lesser extent, like psychological trauma that your brain has to figure out what to do with. You know, I feel like trauma might be a strong word, but I mean, fundamentally it's like your brain is receiving tons of negative input and it has to process that. And it's inability to do so is going to leave you in an anxious state. Right. Because well, there's all this bad stuff happening, right? I need to be in fight or flight mode and ready to attack or run mm-hmm. or something. Absolutely. And it's like really Long wild to think freeze. about it from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what my wife does. If you like pop her out from around the corner and scare her, she freezes. Sometimes she'll hit though. And she hits hard. So you gotta watch out. <laughs> so I have something to say to that. Oh, let's hear it. I think the other extreme is really harmful as well. Where you're constantly like, you know, if you're like, you're enabling like, the victims. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, you're, you're talking about, you know, using social media as, as an example. Okay. I want to, you know, I'm getting fed or influenced by bad news, uh, traumatic events. And then going to the other extreme of, oh, everything's happy and, and like everything's so great. And oh, this funny video is super funny. And it's like you only see the stuff that's going to cause that dopamine high. And then you create this similar effect where you're like addicted to dopamine and like constantly getting a constant dopamine hit. And then if you don't have it, you like go into this really crashing state where (laughs) you can get like really sad or really depressed or whatever. And then you're like going back to trying to hit the dopamine. And and there's people who, and uh, I've looked up articles and people who are experts in the field and they, and they call it dopamine fasting for people who struggle with that. So they'll literally cut it out and like, I will, you know, basically make themselves not do anything that would cause any dopamine. And then their body will naturally find balance again. So it's, it's really fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a a place here in Washington State, I think, over on the west side of the state, where they have this like retreat, basically for I think I, I can't remember if it's anyone or if it's specifically for uh, minors, but basically where it's like you've been inundated with social media so much that some intervention needs to occur, and they basically oh, put them fun. out on a in a cabin or something for. I can't remember if it's a week or two, something like that. And yeah, they basically do that, a dopamine fast where they don't have access to technology and they're just entertaining themselves and doing work and things like that in order to, to, I guess, bring them back to reality. Right. Right. So that's an interesting topic though, with, uh, being a teacher, isn't it? Because I think back to being in high school and I remember, you know, getting my first, cell phone which wasn't a smartphone and Mm -hmm. thinking like you know man like i'm this is crazy you know and like feeling distracted by that at the time just texting friends you know yeah um where you had to do like three times to get one letter yeah Yeah. Yeah. nine baby (laughs) yes that's right that's right i I got really good at it i was like i remember one day i'm sitting front row in uh in biology 
and got my hand under my desk texting someone back. <laughs> it's completely <laughs> accurate. Not a not a misspelled word. I was like, wow. dude. <laughs> teacher doesn't even know he's looking right at me while I'm texting my friend. <laughs> he doesn't even know. <laughs> was your mouth moving like I, like, your mouth is moving. I, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it was. Me. I don't think so. But. What is he doing over there? He's like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> and he's go to least. <laughs> um, well, anyway, what I was, where I was going with that was um, now, like every kid has a smartphone, right? Yeah. It's like if, if adults are having all these problems that we're talking about, then kids must be having them times 10. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I see a lot is kids having like full blown meltdowns when I take away a Chromebook or take away an iPad. And I'm like, whoa, like you should not be wanting this this bad. Right. And and in my classroom, we hardly use them. Not because we can't like I I have like 10 iPads, I think. And then the kids, they do have access to Chromebooks, too. Um, But I just don't like it. Like there's so much we can do hands on. So mm. I really don't bring a lot of technology into my classroom and in the resource room, cause I did resource for three years and now I'm in life skills. Um, and even in the resource room, like I would bring in technology if we were doing like a review on a fun Friday, we would play like a Kahoot or something like that on right. the computer. Um, but that was the extent of it. And that's another thing too, being in sped, I don't get as many minutes with the kids as gen ed teachers mm, do. So like, right. I don't want to say my time is more valuable, but I, I have to use my minutes wisely Yeah, because they're, they're precious to me. Um, so mm. I didn't, I also don't have the opportunity to use technology even if I wanted to, but now in life skills I do cause I'm with my kids most of the day and I still don't like, I mean, I use it in my circle time. We sing songs and stuff. I play music a lot and I, I have a lot of music going in my classroom, like um, instrumental most of the day. And then we do circle time. We do a couple of like, fun songs um but yeah that's the extent of it just because they get so much time with technology at home and in public and mm-hmm. i mean i see that so much in public like i'll oh, be quiet oh, here's my yeah. phone you know yeah. and yeah and i'm not there's no judgment to parents who do that i totally get it sometimes you just need a quiet minute and this is a way to get your kids quiet but there i don't know there's just a point where it's like you just got to be mindful of it you just have to be mindful of it yeah yeah yeah, it, it's so funny. <laughs> I remember before having kids being, you know, seeing that occur and being like, oh, that's terrible. And I would never do that. Yeah. And I have to fully admit to having done that because sometimes kids are really hard and you're like, yeah, oh my and gosh, there's no shame like, in it. You know, yeah, definitely not. Like, I, I think that for me, when it becomes a problem is when it's like it becomes a crutch rather than just a tool that you use occasionally to like, you know, like I said, kids are hard and you've got, I've got three of them and they're all about two years apart and it gets wild sometimes, you know? And it's like, okay, like I just need you to be quiet for like five minutes because my brain is about to run headlong into a wall. Okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta breathe here. And mm. if you can get that relief, like I, again, like you said, at least no shame. Like, I think that's totally yeah. reasonable. I yeah. I think that what you're alluding to, right. With all this, the outside of school time, all the kids that are on it, you know, they're like on Snapchat with their friends all the time, or they're at home. Well, probably still on Snapchat with their friends, right. Or whatever else, Instagram they're they're kids are on it a lot. And I can't imagine that, that it's good for them. You know, like you, when you mentioned the, the students that have those full blown meltdowns, when you take away their technology, that is crazy to me. Like that's, yeah 
so it freaks me out a little bit to be honest you know because these kids are at at that level so dependent on it and so emotionally attached to their technology Mm -hmm. that when you take it away it elicits that kind of a reaction and i'm not even talking about kids old enough to be on snapchat i'm talking about five-year-olds you know what i mean like little kids right well i i mean my my son can be like you know if if you we always like give warnings before we're about to like shut off a movie or a tv show or something because we're like you know it can like even our kids who we try to limit their screen time quite a bit um but they can get really really upset you know if you just like take it away from them it's crazy yeah 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 kids need warnings for sure yeah that's something that especially my son struggled with the most whenever I was like, okay, it's time, you know, time to be done. Time limits up. And he's just, he get really mad. So what seemed to help was doing the five minute warning, which yeah. is what I do every time now. Okay. Five mm-hmm. more minutes. So they know, okay, I should be wrapping up. So yeah. Yeah. That does help. yeah. And I think that warning can, I mean, that can help in all the ways. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, did not expect this conversation to go this direction at all. <laughs> no, Sorry. no, but it's no, no don't it's apologize. Awesome. It's it's it's, it's fun. It's really enjoyable. It's well, it's interesting because I think that uh, we don't realize we we've we've gotten so accustomed to this modern way of living, especially with you know cell phones, and I think we're discovering now a lot of the you know downsides of these technologies, and we have to grapple with it. We have to really think about okay you know we've got cell phones we've got ipads computers you know all these social media apps that we're everyone's on um Mm -hmm. like what's that doing to us yeah like that's a hard those are hard questions that we're only just now asking you know and i don't know i i think it's interesting especially because like I, i think i may have mentioned this before but you know for me with like the more I'm on social media, the more it like eats at like my ability to be creative. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Absolutely. days that I'm like doom scrolling on my phone, I just feel cognitively just exhausted and depleted. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that happens to me a lot too. And I, for me, I feel like creating like feeds my soul. Yeah. So like, like I, one of your questions is like, how do you make, like, how do you stay motivated to create? For me, it's like, I don't have the option. Like, there's not an option about not being motivated to create because if I'm not creating, I'm not feeding my soul. Therefore, I'm getting into it. Like, I'm, I'm going to get into a depressed state if I'm not doing something creative in some way. Wow. And so, like you said, when you're doom scrolling, like, and you're not creating, I, that's when I know, like, oh, there's, I got to get out of this funk. Like, there's something like, I'm going to go bake some cookies. Like, I'm going to go do something yeah. that is getting my hands dirty. That's like, because that's, baking is one thing I get a lot like when and I know you guys feel the same way with with your writing and with your music like when you're when you're doing that you can get lost in time because you're just focused on that and it doesn't like nothing else matters nothing everything wipes away and you're just focused on that that creation right in front of you and there are days where I I mean I go for days where I'm I'm doom scrolling and I'm not doing anything that's like feeding my soul and it just it'll wear it wears on you you know what I mean and it's it's a really really easy habit to fall into. You know, you don't realize because I, I'll go through periods of time where I'm like super good about it. I'm like, you know, hey, I'm allowing myself, you know, maybe five ten minutes to check on Instagram. You know, kids just went to bed, so I need to turn my brain off for five minutes. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, like no. you have 
people have been finding ways to turn their brains off for as long as you can imagine. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the difference is that they've never done it. Well, I shouldn't say they never, but most often it wasn't historically done in such an addictive way. And it's subtly addictive. You know, it's very, very uh, insidious the way that social media works where you're, you know, Hey, I'm just popping on to do something or tell me if either of you have ever experienced this where you take your phone out because you're like, Oh, I need to do something like I I pulled it out for a purpose, right? I'm going to make a note. But for some reason, you've got this like motor habit of your thumb just taps mm-hmm. on the Instagram icon. Like Instagram is yep. mainly what I use. So that's like it's like it, I do it like by just rote habit. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm on Instagram scrolling and I'm like, wait a minute, three and a half minutes ago, I pulled my phone out to do something. What was it? You know, and it's like I'm wow. totally yeah. I can't remember. And it's like, oh, that's such a that's <laughs> so and difficult you, and when you catch that that's when you need to move an app that app into like a folder yeah or move yeah. it in a weird spot so yeah. that when you go to when you start doing that like that muscle memory with your thumb you're like oh i'm opening up my work. calendar why am i opening up my calendar yeah 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 that's yeah that's, I, I i took like most of the apps especially like any youtube or instagram anything like that i took it off my homepage of my phone yeah and now it's just in the app library or whatever so you can go find it and if you're being intentional but yeah it's it's tricky it's like we have to practice self-discipline not more now than we when than we ever have it seems like we've ever had to yeah yeah i don't know if that's true but it does seem like have it needing to be have in like when i look at my and my kids, especially, it's like I need to teach them how to be have discipline over their, over themselves, and also how to teach themselves to delay gratification. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's a big one too. Where we want we have the microwave appetite of like, okay, I'm hungry, pop this in, and I eat it now. Like, and it's something. gotten even worse with yeah. technology. Yeah, it's gotten even worse. Like, I mean. Like, do your kids even know what commercials are? Like, do you have commercials no. on your streaming stuff? Sometimes, sometimes, like, there was one time we were watching some random app. It was a free app, and it had commercials on, and, they're like, and, and my kids were like, what the heck is this? Like, why does it keep, why does it keep going to this? Like, they didn't understand. <laughs> no concept. Like, why does it keep going to this, like, other show? We're right in the middle of them. I was like, That's guys, funny. this is called a commercial. And they're like, I like. Yeah, they had no idea. Like, never. You got to explain that. recording on a VHS to them. Like, if you wanted to ha- go commercial free, you had to sit there and record and pause and record and pause <laughs> to get past the commercials, and then you would have a movie with no commercials. Right. That's awesome. My wow. my kids are familiar with uh, commercials because they go to their uh, great grandma's house sometimes, and she nice. saw us cable TV. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Yeah, so she's. She puts on, you know, Cartoon Network or something like that. And my son's like, ah, it's an advertisement. Because that's what his grandma's. <laughs> that's says. what they call him now. Yeah. <laughs> advertisement. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. So, yeah, no, it's, it's wild. It, and it's, I, 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 I'm just dwelling on what you said, Riley, about how we have to just be in this constant say, state of self-discipline. And that's really it, like when you think about it like that, it's like, well, no wonder most of us are failing because most of us just aren't that disciplined. You know, I think no. even the most disciplined among us are probably still going to struggle with this particular thing because now our 
phones not only serve like the purpose of doom scrolling, but also a bunch of really important functions that most of us rely on in our everyday lives. Yeah. So it's like, you can't, uh, extricate yourself with it to a degree, you know, without great difficulty at least. Yeah. Yeah. I left my phone home at one day when I went to work, I live, I work, so I couldn't run home and grab it. And I use my phone to communicate with people. I use my phone to call if I can, if I have a runner, I like, I, I rely yeah. on my phone. So it was like, I had to go and I had to go on my computer. I had to email the right people, let them know like my classroom extension. So they had it. I don't know. I didn't have a phone. It was a whole ordeal. I'm like, man, how lame. All because I didn't bring a piece, a piece of metal to school. This is your, your yeah. Little, your little brick, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, was it like a year ago now or something? I, so I had a, a different iPhone and the screen just stopped working completely. Like it would light up if I clicked the button, but I couldn't like, it wouldn't react to me touching it. So then I was like, well, crap, that sucks. And I guess I'll have to, you know, I've do for an upgrade anyway. Right. That's what you do. So you just go and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Upgrade it. And it was like, at first you're, it was a little like unsettling, not like having your phone on you. Right. Cause that's what you do. Everyone's got their phone on them somewhere. And then I was like, well, it's a brick now, so it doesn't matter. So I just tossed it in the drawer and walked away. And that was that. And like up until I got my new phone the next day, like midday, I was like, it's kind of nice. You know, yep. like I kind of forgot what it was like to yep. just be. And like, yeah, the fact that I wasn't like instantly available to pretty much anybody that wanted to try to contact me was kind of freeing. <laughs> it is a very freeing feeling. Like when I'm not at work, I love that feeling. It's, it's so funny. I, I brainstorm all the time. I'll like get random ideas for stories or something. And I remember like clearly that day, like up until I like get to the store to get my new phone and everything. I'm just like, I felt like my brain was on fire. I was like, oh man, like I'm just like in it all the time, you know, just like creating in my head and it's yeah. why and it, but, but then here I am now. Right. And I'm thinking back on this and knowing that that was my experience and I would probably even go so far as to say it's probably a preferable experience. But if you were to be like, well, Derek, are you going to go put your phone in the drawer tomorrow? I'd be like, probably not. Yeah. Right. Why? Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I and will say. And I just say, don't feel like we have oh, that option anymore. Sorry, Riley. No, you're fine. I just don't feel like you're we fine. have that, that option anymore. Like, I don't have the option to say, no, I'm not going to have a phone that I take to and from work. I have a landline or you can call me on my school phone. That's it. Like, I couldn't even fathom that kind of a world where that would be okay yeah wow and that was just what 30 years ago 25 years ago that was the standard yeah yeah you know and it's it's really weird to think about you know like there's no shortage of people in my life that if i like didn't if they tried calling me multiple times in one day and i didn't answer they'd be like super he must have gotten hurt or sick like what's going on derek but um like you said you know 25 30 years ago right there's like people would like i don't know obviously there's landlines you can call me talk to people but there's also no expectation that you're just going to be standing by it all the time waiting for a call <laughs> right yeah. and, and many people didn't have like a, an answering machine or anything like that so it's like if you didn't catch them you didn't catch them and it, you it didn't leave you with this terrible anxiety right yeah yeah weird <laughs> now here we are, like like i i miss so here, here's an example, right? This is just like where we're at. I, I went to the convenience store down the street the other night. My wife and I were watching some trashy TV together and we we're like, we need some snacks, you know? So we, I ran and went to go get us a couple snacks and everything. And I got there 
really quickly got the the things that I needed. I'm standing in line and I hear some sirens outside. And of course we don't live that far from it. Right. So at home, my wife can hear the sirens too. And she calls me. She's like, that wasn't you, was it? And I'm like, nope. (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) even just like a short little, like I was going to be gone more than 10 minutes. Right. And I understand it because the same thoughts cross my head too. It's like, Oh, I have a loved one that just left my house and now I hear a siren. And it's like, the thought in your head is like, what if, right? What if something horrible has happened? And you, for some reason, think that if I can find out the answer immediately, then like, that's going to be what's best, I guess. But it gives, it gives her peace of mind because my wife does, has done the same thing. Hey, are you okay? And it's like, yeah, like, cause we, cause there was an ambulance or there. Yeah. It's totally happened. And it's just so that she can be, have peace of mind because that's going to be nagging at the back of her head for the next. 15 to 20 minutes while I'm out getting something and coming right back. Right. Yeah. My husband and I have talked about turning on our, our maps so that like, cause I go on EDs in other states sometimes. And we've talked about that, like just in case something where you're like, you never know, there's a lot of crazy stuff in the world right now. And yeah, yeah, if he doesn't hear from me, maybe he should be able to see my location. That's, I mean, I never would have thought about that 10 years ago, even. Right. Right. Well, like 10 10 years ago, the whole thing with all the crime TV shows, right. was like being able to triangulate their location with their, their (laughs) cell phone signal between different cell towers and stuff. And now people have instant access to everyone else's location virtually all the time. So (laughs) it's like, that's wild (laughs) stuff, man. (laughs) So here's, here's something, here's the question that this conversation is getting pretty good. So here's the question that is really bubbling up to the surface in my head. Is technology stifling our creativity as like as, as think, a whole in humanity? I think as a collective, yes. Like wow. I think technology can be used to help us. It can be used to make things go well. But as a whole and as a collective, I think it is hurting us. Because like, wow. and I've been listening to your guys' podcasts and the AI discussion has been like, but for me because it scares me so much and so like yeah so hearing like i hear the benefits of it i understand it but to me there's so much like scary that it outweighs the benefits Mm. for Mm. me to the like in the sense that i don't and i don't know like i don't know where where the line is i don't know like how thick it is i you know what i mean like i don't know yeah nobody does okay or what's not okay because for me like and i think about like i think about like baking bread right like i do not know how to bake bread i could look up a recipe on google but it is not first nature to me to be able to bake a loaf of bread with yeast and Mm -hmm. have it get big and grow and bake and be yummy um my grandma did my great grandma did that was normal for them i don't know how to do that and I have the internet, but what if the internet went away and I don't have that? What if the internet went away and bread machines broke and I did not know how to make that bread? You have, have to go ask knowledge. someone who actually knew. Yeah. 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 And so I think about that in, in creativity and stuff too, like, like writing a book, you learn how to write, you learn the proper, yeah. the proper way to do it, the format, same thing with music. Like you learn how to write a song, you learn the techniques of it and and every mm-hmm. all of that and if you get ai to do it for you eventually we're going to get to a point in our generations 
that they don't know how to write from scratch anymore. They don't know where to start. And that Mm -hmm. terrifies me because technology can always crash. It does often. Technology drives me nuts most of the time. (laughs) Like I hated it during COVID. Um, It was terrible. Hated it. And I'm such a pen and paper person. Um, So I think I'm a little biased in that sense because I just think pen and paper, that's my favorite way to handle things, to tackle anything. I start with pen and paper. Um, Even writing, like I'm starting to write again. And doing that, I thought about trying to attempt it on pencil with pencil and paper before I tried typing it because that's how I have done every other story in the past. Right. Wow. And so it was really hard for me to like not. And I still did a bunch of notes on pen and paper before I started typing. But yeah, it's just, yeah. It's an interesting uh, conversation for sure. I think that uh, one of the things that occurs to me is... And the inevitability of it all is like, it kind of seems like, you know, the stone is already, already rolling down the hill and I don't think there's any stopping it. Um, even, even if that was truly preferable and by the, like, I, I, you know, I admit I tend to be pretty optimistic about these things, but you know, even, even if you could make the case that it's like, it is a net negative and we must stop it. I just don't even know that you can at this point um so my thinking tends to just be like well giving greater access to the technology rather than putting it in the hands of just a few you know i think that's probably a, a way to safeguard against some of those net negatives um and i think you know one of the things that you mentioned right was that generations down the line assuming the ai continues to just get better and better that nobody's going to know how to do it anymore and i i feel the urge to push back a little bit against that just because i i think that will happen a lot but i think that there's always going to be people who are like so deep in the craft that they know it in and out you know because you know ai already right now if you asked it to write a short story it would give you a bad short story like it it, it can't write anything of tremendously high quality in my opinion um and uh you could you could set someone up right now and tell them they could say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and everything but there's always going to be you know people that have like hey i've spent the last you know five ten fifteen years learning how to do this and learning structure and learning uh all the all the ins and outs of it you know because they're obsessed with it and like that's how i would describe myself it's like as soon as i figured out that you could dig below the surface of it i was like oh okay you know and you you become obsessed and you want to understand and you want to learn and I I I don't think that's going away because I don't think that gives humanity enough credit you know I don't think that gives the creative people enough credit because I think that we are just so curious and we're natural explorers right like that's why humanity is where it's at in the first place because we continue to just explore and peer through the fog and and try to figure it out so. I, I, I say that not at all to argue with you, but maybe to offer you like a, a grain of hope in it because yeah, admittedly it is, it is scary. I was listening to a podcast with uh, the, one of the founders of open AI where chat GPT comes from uh, Sam Altman. And uh, he was talking basically in that same vein about like how at, at this point, you know, it's kind of inevitable it's coming and he even sees something like artificial general intelligence 
as inevitable as well, which is far beyond anything that that chat GPT or any of these other chatbots is right. Like AGI is is it's it's like a sentient computer that's like human like in its ability to uh, to do its thing anyway. Like to me, that sounds way more sci fi than reality. I just I just finished reading a book called To Sleep in the Sea of Stars by Christopher Pellini and like full of artificial general intelligence and like uh, pseudo intelligences and stuff like that. Really interesting. And, and to me, like I hear that and it just sounds so like so far off, you know, but he seemed to think it was inevitable, seemed to think it was on the horizon. And it's like, well, I can sit and be afraid of it. And there's plenty of good reason to be afraid of it. Like, let's be honest, you know, it's going to be very, very disruptive, but I don't know. I guess you can more, the more and more that we've gotten into this podcast, the more I've thought about the utility of perspectives. And I, sometimes I think that just telling yourself a little bit of a different story about it, you know, and you have to stay close to reality, right? You can't just be like, Oh, I'm going to lie to myself, but you know, it has to be feasible, but yeah. It's like I can tell myself that there's an incoming AI apocalypse and I should probably, you know, hide and cry. Or, you know, I can tell myself that, okay, whatever's coming, like maybe there's a lot of opportunity in it, you know? Yeah. And maybe there's a balance. And I think there is. And I, yeah, I guess for me, as long as we can maintain our curiosity, that, that is what to me is valuable is maintaining that curiosity. Like, Cause yeah. I don't know. I'm curious to hear about what you think with your own children. But one thing I've seen in school is kids lack imagination. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I don't know if either of you are gamers. My husband is, and I am a little bit games are beautiful now and their universes are huge and there's so yeah. much to them. So it's like, how do you not have an imagination with games like these and with books that are out there now? How do you not have that? And so and I don't know, I don't want to just blame one thing. Like, I don't want to just blame, te- it's all technology's fault, it's video games. Like, I don't think that. But there's something that, there's something going on now that there was not going on when we were children. I don't believe. Mm. At least it, maybe it was just the start of it when we were kids. Because I do feel like we were like at the big boom of technology when we were young. Yeah. And things just progressed rapidly as we got older. Um, and so... Yeah, I think as long as we can maintain that curiosity in children, that is imperative. And we can do what we want with technology and with the future and new things and all of that, as long as we can maintain that curiosity and that that exploration and that um, resilience to truly explore and not just Google to find the answer and get frustrated when we don't. I like that. And one of the things that I think attributes to that is boredom. Yeah. If I'm bored, then that's when my mind becomes a playground like if as a kid all I had you know I never had I didn't have like a toy gun so I had to think if I I wanna I want to be the good guy and I'm shooting bad guys but what am I going to use I know I'll use the stick and then therefore I'm using my imagination because what else am I going to do right because I had to get bored in order to get to that place where I didn't want to be bored. I had to create a world or, you know, use my imagination. And I think that's a huge part of it. It's like, if you're constantly being stimulated and it's like, Oh, look at me. Oh, look at me. Look at me. Look, you know, 
I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. And it's like, you're just constantly being enveloped and stimulated. When do you give your brain a chance to rest, to actually let it be bored so that it can fill in and do the work that it's designed to do to actually create and recreate and imagine? Mm-hmm. Those are my yeah. thoughts. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, my my mom uh when I was a kid, whenever I would say I was bored, would say only boring people get bored. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> all right. You win this one, mom. <laughs> no, but I, I I think the other thing too, you know, that piggybacks off of it and it's probably con- deeply connected to, you know, technology and and everything, but um I think problem solving isn't like a very well-practiced skill i think that people don't often know how to think through solving their problems or I, I don't even know if we realize that that's what we need to do you know because we are like able to just pick up our little metal bricks here and tap on the screen and get solutions to problems really really yeah. quickly we probably don't even recognize we have problems you know mm-hmm. but i think that when you don't have easy access to you know you mentioned like the problem of I don't know how to make bread. Right. And it's like, well, like you'd have to get, you'd have to get creative to figure that out. Right. Like even like if you were in a room by yourself and all you had was time and ingredients, right. <laughs> like mm-hmm. eventually yeah. you bet you could figure, figure it out. It out. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's someone figured it out and you're most certainly smarter than whatever the earliest human that made bread was. So <laughs> like, I can only imagine that, that you would be capable. And, and so I think that, I think that curiosity is important. I think that not, you know, relying on technologies just as a crutch, you know, um, I think that's so important. We can fall really, really easily into the trap of, well, I'll just Google it or I don't know, just figuring out how you can find just the simplest solution to a problem using technology. But I think that using your own faculties first and and yeah like don't i don't i don't think there's any shame it's like i don't know how to build something so i'm gonna google how i would build it it's like okay like i get it but still go and build it right like there's something about that that's kind of cool and like you created that and it doesn't it feel good like when you've created something like that i don't know i remember the, the the first time i finished uh a manuscript that i was working on and i just was like sitting back looking at it scrolling from you know page one down to page whatever it was at the end and just being like dude that was me that came from my brain that was that's cool like what an insanely good feeling you know like that's exciting yeah Yeah, i find that too when i when i've created something when i finished a project i find myself going back and looking at it over and over again because i am proud of it and i want to look at it i want to admire it yeah yeah and that's good like i think you should it's something to be proud of and yeah, it's, it, it does feel a lot better than going out and just buying it or getting it or whatever. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like it just feels so much better. Oh yeah. yeah. There's so much self-satisfaction. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Living Creativity Podcast. We hope you found value in today's discussion and are feeling inspired to live out your creative life. 
Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to any resources we may have mentioned and to join our Discord community where you can connect with other creatives. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have any ideas or feedback you'd like to leave us, you can drop it in the appropriate channel on the Discord server, or you can send us an email at livingcreativitypodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, the best way to do so is by leaving a rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. Thanks again, and as always, keep creating. Keep creating.